do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. You will listen to an episode about why a 250 million agriculture land investor has recently done her first regenerative ag deal and how they are providing growth finance for successful farmers by aligning themselves with the farmer. Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food and what we eat. And it's time that we as investors, big and small and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. In March last year, we launched our Patreon community to make it easy for fans to support our work. And so many of you have joined as a member. We've launched different types of benefits, exclusive content, Q&A webinars with former guests, Ask Me Anything sessions, plus so much more to come in the future. For more information on the different tiers, benefits, and how to become a member, check patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or find the link below. Thank you. Today, I interview Joelle Faulkner, founder of Area One Farms. Area One Farms builds equity partnerships across Canada that enable farm operators to expand without the burden of fees, rent, or interest payments. Over the last seven years, they've invested over 250 million in 18 different properties across Canada and recently made their first regenerative sustainable deal. Of course, I'm going to ask everything about that and if they're planning to do more in the future. Welcome, Joelle. Thanks so much for having me. Could you tell us a bit why you're in this space? I always like to ask this personal question at the beginning because most people I interview could do many other things in their lives and they decide to focus on soil and agriculture. So I run a company called Area One Farms. We do equity investments with family farms in Canada to expand their land base and infrastructure. And we ended up interested in regenerative farming as a risk reduction method. So when we look at kind of where agriculture is moving, we think consumer preferences are actually going to drive a lot of change, even ahead of regulation. And one of the consumer preferences is, looks like it is likely to be for lower inputs. And we have not been able to find a way to do organic well because of the risks with erosion, especially in the areas that we're farming in, which are relatively dry. And that got us interested in regenerative techniques. And actually, to take it one step further backwards, what got you interested in agriculture to begin with? I'm from a dairy farm in London, Ontario. And so I've been in agriculture and got interested in how we could finance uh, growth differently than the land investment firms that operated at that point in Canada, which bought land and rented it out. So we thought there was a more model that could be more financially sustainable for farmers where they could be owners instead of leasers. And if you look at the deals you've done so far, I mean, we can look at the last one, which was on regenerative and sustainable, but I think it's more or less the same model as the others. Can you explain us a bit the model that you operate and why is it so different than the buy to rent basically that you mentioned before? So we partner, so the farmer puts in equity and we put in equity. So they're a co-owner from the beginning. 
But the second thing that happens is there's no lease payments. So there's no rent payments uh, or land costs to the enterprise, so to that joint venture. And instead of the farmer taking a salary, they take 15% of income and of appreciation on the full farm, not just their ownership part. So they own whatever portion they own, they get 100% of the return from that. But on all of the land that they don't own or didn't put in the equity for, they get 15% of both income and appreciation. And if you look at a, a standard case you've worked with, usually it's a family farm that wants to buy a neighbor, a neighboring property or some land or actually quite a bit of land nearby. And instead of you buying it for them and leasing it back to them, you basically set up a separate entity, a joint venture where the farmer joins with 10, 15 or 20 percent and you bring in, in the rest, if I understand correctly. That's exactly right. And so we do that. Generally, we're buying out landlords for existing farms. So they're already renting and they want to move to an equity base. Or we're expanding because multiple kids want a farm. And so the farm needs to grow. And then what's the longer term vision or future for the farmers? Are they buying out your 80% or whatever the number is of the joint venture over time? And do they have the financial space to do that? Is that the 10-year goal or the 20-year goal? What's the goal for the farmer? It ends up being a 20-year goal usually to buy us out. So they end up usually being able to buy out 30 to 50% of the farm at year 10, and then another 30 around year 15, and another 30 are finishing kind of around year 20. And how has been the, uh, because it's a very different relationship, obviously, than a normal farm land invest or, or investments, you really partner with the farmer. How has been that relationship? That's been great. I think it helps a lot that I have an agricultural background. And so the whole culture of our firm understands farming and farmers and good years and bad years. It's also been really valuable that we've found great partners to work with who bring us really interesting opportunities. So in addition to being invested in the land itself, we also end up investing in the associated businesses. So how can we improve the land for productivity and profitability? And also, are there like seed cleaning or conversion work? So kind of bringing pasture into productive or irrigation work. And so all of that plays in. And how has been the response from investors? Because I'm imagining you're not putting all of the, the money yourself. You're, you're working with investors. How has been the response to this different method when looking at just buying and renting it out? From the investor side, it's been really interesting. We have proven out over the period so far that this is a higher value model than renting, which has brought us a number of investors and a number of the, our investors generally are very long-term in their thinking and believe in the value of partnership at the outset. So we don't get everybody because they're, uh, lease back models are certainly easier to manage and some investors are more interested in that and the ability to kind of sell easier, et cetera. But when we do find investors, we find that they're very interested in what we're doing and really excited to be part of it. And what are the return targets more or less that you are um, looking at over the 10 or 20 year period? So we aim for a total return of around 12% for investors. It's such a high number, but if you think of where that comes from, Canada's average appreciation over 60 years has been 7%. We do a lot of improvement work to the land itself. And so only a minority 
very small portion of that is actually coming from production on an annual basis. And now looking at the regenerative part, the DOU, the last DOU did, has that been different than the other deals you've done? And if so, in, in what sense? Nope. It's exactly the same as the other deals we've done. And it's just a different method of farming. And we think a more profitable one. And what kind of operation is it or what kind of operation will it be once they are maybe integrating more things? What do we have to imagine when we hear the first regenerative sustainable deal by Area One Farms? Oh, in, in our case, it's the farmer isn't changing anything about how they operate. They just happen to be using those methods in how they operate already. And so they run a mixed farm, integrated cow-calf and crop production. And we are partners on the crop production side, but with an arrangement around kind of how we make land available for their cow-calf operation in addition. And our numbers, when we look at their history and their projections, our numbers are based on them having used their sustainable sustainable farming practices and continuing to do so over time. And you mentioned that you imagine they will be more profitable. Does that mean you're you're actively looking for others as well? Because I can imagine for your investors that might be a plus compared to, let's say, conventional chemical agriculture. We are actively looking for others, but our interest is working with great farmers in the way that they already work. So we don't have people where we they come in one way and we say you have to switch to another farming method. We think that's a poor way to to find partners and to work with partners. And so we're very interested in regenerative agricultural partners and we'll look into them kind of as they approach us. And what do you see as the biggest barriers for regenerative agriculture to really scale? Uh, so I think... When we've looked at it, because we've looked at it with some of our conventional guys, I actually think the hard thing about scaling regenerative agriculture is two parts. One is the integration of animals means you either need to be running a mixed farm in, or you need to be near an animal production facility that needs uh, manure disposal. So that's one piece. And the other piece is I actually think a lot of it is that Farmers who are really good at operating in a certain way would need a recipe card that said, instead of this activity, we are doing this activity. You know, because it's, what's really hard about it is to figure out a whole new structure of how to have like activity sets. And I actually think making it as simple as that, as a starting place, and then testing on some parts of the land versus others, because we think that. In a lot of cases, it's risk reduction as much as anything else. So it will do better in worse years. But that also means that you have to be trying it in a worse year so that you can see the difference. Yeah, I know. I see a lot of people coming coming towards it from the risk perspective and the cost perspective. Yes, exactly. Which obviously makes a lot of sense, especially in the bad years when your neighbor is suffering probably much more. Well, in a good year, everybody's doing great and some people are doing amazing, but you don't see that different too much especially also in sales prices, actually. Yeah, definitely agree. And so what do you see, let's say, in the near future for you as an investor in regenerative agriculture? What do you need? What do you look for? What are you excited about? Let's say, in the, if we talk a year from now, what are the main things you're working on? Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? 
Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. We're really interested in finding additional partners in the space because we learn with and from our partners. And then we also are very interested in kind of the cost part of this. So seeing productivity with lower costs and how that can work. And if you could change one thing in, in the agriculture sector, if you can wave a magic wand and, and tomorrow morning we all wake up and something has changed, what would that be? Hmm. That's a great question. I don't know. Like right now it's really hard to say that it wouldn't be trade wars um, where we're at. With, Which is a fair answer. Yeah. yeah, with commodities. But I think that's probably a little bit on the timely side, more than maybe long-term. In our case, uh, changing the investor side would probably have the biggest immediate impact to us. And I think the disconnect there, and it's probably similar actually to to how some of the sustainable agricultural producers, the issues that they face or farmers face in general, I actually think that the finance sector generally underappreciates how many risks farmers are managing for at any given time. And as a result, underappreciates the value that they bring. And so what we think is really valuable about our model is the ability to keep communities strong and improve those communities by keeping wealth within the communities because of the appreciation share with the farm partners. But that comes from, like, it's much more like thinking of farmers as tech entrepreneurs than it is of thinking of farmers like manufacturing kind of people in manufacturing plants. And I think that comes from the respect that I have because I grew up farming and so understand the many risks and what people are managing for. But what's interesting to us on our investor side is that's usually kind of unique. I think for us, I'd like to see us get a bit closer to consumers. So we haven't experimented with whether we can create brands, but I do think that's a really interesting opportunity right now and one that that has some potential for participation over time. I guess if you, the magic wand that I'd want to wave from a producer perspective is like if you could have a, a magic light that showed you if a salesperson for any given thing for the data that you read, if it would work for you on your place in the way that it's described. And so what I think that that is so many people come to each farm every year to try and sell something that is going to make productivity and profitability higher. And it's true that something must do that, but it's also true that not everything that comes to the door can do that. And so it's very hard to discern what will work. And if you could, if you could pick a magic wand, it would be being able to tell which of the innovations in all contexts would work. What we see in sustainable agriculture, and Canada does have significant research around sustainable agriculture, so a lot learned from that research, is the methods that work elsewhere because of the climactic differences don't always work for us and need innovation around them to work for us. But I think like if you, if you knew going in what your best shot at working was, it would sure make life simpler. 
I think it's an, an excellent answer. I mean, there's so much noise in the space and so much information and people coming to sell XYZ to farmers daily. But at the same time, they all have unique circumstances and and they only, I mean, they run one slash one and a half season a year, which means maybe 40, 50 in their lifetime, which means they're risking a lot if they are trying one thing and not the other. And by definition, most of the things don't work, which means they probably choose something that doesn't work. So it's a huge risk. And I think many people forget that, how much they're gambling, plus all the weather risk that only increase, plus all the consumers that constantly change, plus the trade wars you mentioned before. Like it's a, yeah. a 6% or 10% or from a very, I mean, obviously a regenerative farm is probably worth a lot more than a 10% from somewhere else because of all the side benefits actually they create locally and both environmentally and, and socially, obviously. And to end with a question, I mean, obviously not investment advice, but if you would imagine there's a, an, an audience of smart impact investors, or at least they consider themselves smart that are enthusiastic about land, enthusiastic about soil, very enthusiastic about farmers, they know the risk and they would like to get into the space. They haven't invested yet. What would you advise them to read? What would you advise them to do to understand more and maybe make their first investment in the regenerative food and agriculture space? So our bias, because it's what I understand and as a result, what we're invested in and our investors are invested in, is the land base. Um, meaning... There are a lot of places along the regenerative agriculture value chain that you could invest. And in our case, we invest in the land. And then from there, we grow out any associated businesses. If other investors came with other expertise, if they came with brand views or consumer packaged goods, um, they would probably have a different place in that value chain that would make a lot of sense for them. Uh, but what they can say is, from our standpoint, it's a really low risk investment. So it is a moderate return with low risk, which makes it a high risk adjusted return investment for the land base itself. And I think that's probably especially true as you get into regenerative agriculture, where you're minimizing more risks. And so I guess that's part one. The second is we don't go into areas without a partner. And we think that that creates considerable value both for us and for the partners and for the communities. I think if somebody's looking at sustainability, both to be mindful that sustainability should probably also include financial sustainability and social sustainability in addition to environmental. And I guess the, the final point on that is if you have an opportunity to invest in land and to do it locally with a partner, we do think that that is a better investment over the long term for everyone involved. And to, I mean, I always say final question, then I have a few more. Just on the media, we, we didn't talk about uh, when you do a deal, are you doing them on a deal by deal basis in, in a sense? Are you connecting an investor basically one-on-one -on -one or investors one-on-one -on -one to a property or is it a no. fund-like structure? How is it structured as a for the investor side of things? Yeah, we have a fund-like structure. We used to do it on a property basis, so you'd come into Farm A or Farm B or Farm C, and it doesn't give the investor the diversification that we think is really valuable. And so we now do it on a pooled fund structure that fund makes co-investments with various farmers, and that's how we build out over time. Uh, it has proven to be more valuable for the investors. 
and it has proven to be more valuable to the farms to some extent because any investor is less dependent on the performance of a specific asset, which gives us a bit more of an ability to take a portfolio view, but also gives, gives I think, the right understanding to both the investors and the farmers, where to the farmer it is their farm that they're invested in, and to the investors they are invested in many farms. And is it a closed-end fund or a continuous evergreen? Because you're mentioning 20 years, which is quite a, a long period. How, how do you manage bringing new farms basically into the fund and new investors? We have uh, closed-ended funds. Our newest fund is actually a perpetual entity with guaranteed liquidity. So it operates more like a long-term or evergreen. It isn't open-ended, meaning we don't add capital to it. After we fully invest all of the capital and the investors then know what investments they have, we have the option or the investors have the option of reopening that fund. And, and otherwise we raise a subsequent fund. Okay. And now I, I promised the last question, unless we open a lot, a lot more other questions. What do you believe? I like to ask this question. It comes from John Kemp, uh, who I interviewed before. Uh, what do you believe to be true about, um, he says modern agriculture. I like to ask about regenerative agriculture as well, but let's go with agriculture in general. What do you believe to be true about agriculture that others don't believe to be true? It depends who your others are, but if it's a financial community, generally speaking, and we hear this on panels when we ask our existing investors and even really sophisticated institutional investors, farmers are smarter than you'd think. And that's because they have to be. They manage a lot of variables. They do it fairly systematically or to the best of their ability, generally looking for advice and opportunity. And so we think that all primary producers are managing a lot of complex things and as a result are actually running much more sophisticated businesses. I think that farmers often present to the world and subsequently different and more sophisticated than financial people often expect. So an advice could be find a farmer and or a farmer family and, and spend some good quality time together to understand the complexity that not only the climate puts to them, but also we as consumers and, and finance people are basically from a distance putting at them and they have to. I don't even know that you have to spend a lot of time. Like if you think through all of the variables that are getting managed and the quantity of capital that they've built over time, I think it becomes relatively straightforward. Good. I want to thank you so much for your time this morning and definitely be checking in on the more regenerative deals you probably are going to make in the future. Yeah, that would be great. And uh, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview and learned something about structuring growth finance for successful farmers. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, Share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.